But I know where I'm coming from. I know that if it hadn't been for the grace of God, I wouldn't be standing here. Is there anybody here who is here because of what he or she has done? I want us to reflect back. This week we have been looking at the power and beauty of Christian fellowship. Today, what the Holy Spirit wants us to dwell upon is the translation of his grace in our fellowship. The translation of the grace of Jesus Christ in our fellowship. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. And David said, Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show kindness to him for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And King David said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul? that I may show kindness, the kindness of God to him. Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in the feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, in the son of Amiel at Lodibar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodibar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid him homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to the house of and to all of his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall steal the land for him 
and shall bring in the produce, that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. And we look at what Ziba said. He said, according to all that my Lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. But the part I like is, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah and who lived in Ziba's house and became Mephibosheth's servant. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he always, he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. You and I can identify with Mephibosheth. We know the story of Saul and Jonathan and David. But let's just reflect upon it. Saul was the first king of Israel. When Israel cried out for a king, God gave them a king and he gave them Saul. And Saul, from the account in the Bible, was this handsome young man who was courageous, a brave warrior. But Saul did not go according to the word of God. At some point, he decided to, he felt he was on his own. He fell out of favor with God, and God chose David. But Saul made it a point that he would persecute David wherever he went. Eventually, everything came to an end. Saul died in battle, but he died in battle with his heir apparent, who was Jonathan. Jonathan who had become a friend of David. So if the heir apparent has died, it means that there may be nobody else to take up the place of the one who has died. And in the Jewish culture, they were patrilineal. So it, it fell to reason that it should be a son of Saul who should become the, the next king of Israel. So Abner, who was the commander-in-chief for um, Saul, decided that if Jonathan has died and two other sons who could have been king had died, then I'm going to install another king, a son of Saul. So he went and looked for Ishbosheth and made him king of Israel. But David had been promised by God that he was going to be the king of Israel. He had been anointed by Samuel. And what God had promised about him was not going to be destroyed by anybody. Not Abner or anybody who had decided to do things their own way. So the, Jew, the Judah, the tribe where David came from, saw him and he said, we are anointing you as our king. The rest of Israel, we don't care about. So David was anointed by the people of Judah as king. But Ishbosheth was the king of Israel, the rest of Israel. And they were in the majority. But it didn't perturb David. He was still on the throne in Judah, being the king there. And because of that, there was war between the people of David and the people of Saul. But along the way, 
the Abner, who was the commander, fell short with Ishbosheth. And then he realized that no, God has already said that David is the one who should be the king of Israel. So I'm going to pay allegiance to him. And that's what he went and did. A long story short, Ishbosheth was murdered, and eventually David had to take over the whole of Israel as king. They recognized him as the king of Israel, and they anointed him as the king of Israel. Now, when he took up the throne, he started thinking, reflecting. I know where I'm coming from. I used to be a shepherd in the field. I don't have any lineage with Saul. But the grace of God has brought me here. And if the grace of God has brought me here, what am I doing with that grace that God has favored me with? David remembered where he was coming from. And David realized that he should also be gracious to other people. Hallelujah. So he asked, is there anybody in the house of Saul that I may show kindness to? If he was going to show kindness to the people of Saul, he was doing it for his friend Jonathan's sake. And anybody would have thought that, okay, the, Saul was the king. So if they are look, looking for somebody to come and get the favor, it should be someone deserving. Someone who really is up to the standard of Saul. Someone that people can look up to and say that, hey, here's a great man. So if he deserves it, so if he's being given the favor, that's in order. But there was nobody except for Mephibosheth. And the story says that Jonathan's son, Jonathan Saul's son had a son who was lame in the feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came to Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened that as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. So the only surviving lineage under Saul was Mephibosheth. And here was this man. He was lame in both feet. Because of that... He didn't want any trouble. He knew that the, the lineage under his grandfather, the, the kingdom had passed them. So they had taken him to a rented place. He was not living even in his own house. And he was lame in the feet. So he was minding his own business, thinking that I came to this world Life didn't go well with me. Now, I fell down at the age of five. I am lame. I don't have anybody to help me. Let me just sit here. If they cook and they give me some to eat, that is enough. He was sitting there minding his own business. Thinking about his low estates. When David from the palace remembered that... There should be someone in the house of Jonathan, in the house of Saul, that I should show favor to, just as God has shown favor to me. The 
that's why I was saying that I don't know where you are coming from, but I know where I'm coming from. I know where I was sitting when Christ's love shone on me. In the same way that David remembered that there should be someone that I should show favor to, God has remembered that there is someone like you, someone like me, that he should show favor to. Hallelujah. So, Mephibosheth was called. His servant brought him to David. And David said, you know what? I'm going to show you kindness. I am going to show you kindness. And he was brought from the low estate where he was. And he said, you are now coming to sit at my table and eat with me at my table. Can you imagine? I come from the, both the Ashanti and the Achem culture. And I know how Ashantis we treat Otunfo. And I know how Achebi we treat Osajifo. If Osajifo should come and call and say that, go and bring Ambigail and come and let her eat at my table, that day I don't know what I will do. I will look for my best clothing. I, I mean, the way I walk will change. Why? Because for the Omani of Achim traditional area has called me to come and sit at table with him. I'm not a royal. I come from one of the families there. So where from? Where, how do I come in? If Otunfo should call me right now to just come and shake his hand, you, you sitting here, if Otunfo should call you, or the president of the nation should call you, what will you do? But we are talking about the king of kings. We are talking about the one who created the Osage force and the Otunfos. We are talking about the one who holds our breath. We are talking about the one who holds the universe. He has called you to come and dine with him. How prepared are you for this dinner? Hallelujah. So, Mephibosheth was called. And when he came, he told um, Saul, uh, David, he said, a dog like me, he saw himself as a mere dog, as an animal. He didn't even come close to the throne. He said, a dog like me, and you are calling me to come and sit at table with you. Not once, but forever for as long as I live. God has changed our situation. We were very, very far away, but grace found us. It is that grace that searches for us and finds us even when we are not looking for it. Mephibosheth was sitting there minding his own business when grace fell upon him. The grace that forgives us even when we do not deserve it. Saul had been persecuting David all his life. David had every right to say that every descendant of Saul should be destroyed because of what he did to me. But the grace that forgives us, even when we don't deserve it, read out to Mephibosheth, hallelujah. The grace that provides for us, even when we cannot repay it, 
What can Mephibosheth do to repay David? What has he got? What strength? He's handicapped. He's a lowly man. What, how can he pay back David? But David said, this grace has been bestowed upon you. Hallelujah. The grace that loves us even when we know that we are not worthy. It is that grace that was manifested. When we look at ourselves and we think about what God has done for us, we should let this grace translate in our lives. Hallelujah. Now this is the story about Mephibosheth in the Old Testament. Let's look at a few more examples in the New Testament. And see if you can identify yourself with some of them. In the New Testament, we can also find some undeserving people that Jesus brought close to himself. Let's look at Zacchaeus. I don't know, anybody here working for internal revenue? But has anybody been chased by internal revenue before? Zacchaeus is an example of an, a typical corrupt Ghana revenue officer. And you know how they are like, the corrupt ones. There are some good ones, but the corrupt ones. You go and you file your taxes, and then they tell you another thing. I remember some time ago, I was not in, the, I, I went outside the country for some time in Central and Eastern Africa. So when I came back and I started working, I knew that I, I had to pay my taxes. So I went to the Internal Revenue Office and I said that I, I'm a Ghanaian. I used to work here. I went and worked outside, I've come back. I want to pay my taxes. It was war. Me that I'm coming to pay them, it was war for me. They will turn you here. They will ask you to go there. I said, hey, I'm bringing you money that I owe the government. Just let me pay. Eh, madam, you see, you have to... What I went through before I could get a file is a very long story. At the end of the day, they even want you to pay them so that they can do something about it. Those of you who go and get things from the harbor, you know what the, the revenue people do to you? Zacchaeus was worse than that. Typical Ghana revenue authority person, corrupt. But when Jesus came into his life, Jesus saw him when he climbed to the tree, the sycamore tree. He identified him. And he said, despite all your corruption, I want you to come down. Come down and receive my grace. And it was on that day that Zacchaeus said, if I have, I have duped anybody, I give them back what I took from them. Grace. Grace found Zacchaeus. What kind of corrupt life have you been living? 
What kind of corruption have you been going through? We are always talking about the politicians. But if we look into our own lives, the corruption here and there, maybe we are on the same scale with Zacchaeus. But the good news is that grace has found us. Hallelujah. Then we look at the woman in ad, caught in adultery in John chapter 8. The lawgivers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, as of them, they are sitting there looking for people who are doing the wrong thing. And when they catch you, they make sure that they deal perfectly well with you. Just like the police will go and hide somewhere and look for a vehicle that is breaking the rules. From nowhere, they will spring up and come and stand in the middle of the street and stop you and deal with you. That's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing. When they went and caught this woman in adultery, how they did it, they are the only ones who know. But they did. And then they brought him to Jesus and they said, this woman has been caught red-handed in adultery. According to the Jewish law, such a person should be stoned. The interesting thing is that the adultery is not caused by only one person, but they bring only the woman and they stone the woman. I don't know what happens to the man. The woman is the one who is brought. So as for this woman, she has no case. Every evidence is there to show that she should be stoned. But what did Jesus do? He said, he who has not done anything, any sin, who has not committed any sin, you throw the stone first and then let the others follow. Everybody turned around and went away. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. At this point, Jesus raised himself up and saw that no one but the woman. And he said to her, woman, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What haven't we done? Where haven't we been? What? If we go back into our lives, grace has found us. Grace found this adulterous woman and brought her back. I come from a polygamous family. In sin did my mother conceive me. She was one of the wives of my father. I don't even deserve to come close to any place. But when my mother came to know the Lord and realized that what she was doing was not the right thing. She gave her life to Christ when I was two years old, and she turned away from that polygamous marriage and never married again. So God called her to glory at the age of 84. Grace found my mother. And that grace was extended to me because she told me her story. She told me what she went through, how she got to where she went. Grace took her out of the adultery life and established her. She died a woman of God, a deaconess of the Church of Pentecost, having lived all her the rest of her life to the glory of God. Hallelujah. Grace found her. And that same grace is what has found you. You may have gone through whatever. You may have done whatever. But just as Jesus told the woman, the adulterous woman, she said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And that grace 
has established her. Then we look at the Samaritan woman. This woman, she couldn't even tell the number of husbands she had had. Because when Jesus asked her, she said, I don't have a husband. Because I'm not now going to tell you my history. I have had so many of them, but if I, so I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you have said right. Because you have had so many. And even the one that you are living with, it's not yours. But grace found her. The same grace was extended to her. Now this woman, after leaving Jesus, was now an evangelist. She went to the the city of Samaria and told them, come and see the man who has told me the story of my life. The people came and they said, it's not just what you said, but we have come and we have seen him for ourselves. The grace that turned this prostitute to be an evangelist, it is that same grace that has found you and I. Hallelujah. Then look at Judas Iscariot. He's the one that amazes me most about Jesus Christ. Jesus worked with him all the three years of his life on earth when he was evangelizing, healing the sick. Judas saw everything that Jesus was doing. Judas was the one, the money man. He was keeping the money. But Judas was evil. But God did not throw him away. Jesus never said, I asked for that Judas, you, 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 you let him be. You know, sometimes you see somebody and say that the life of this person, let him be. He didn't give up on him. And to the extent that at the last supper, Judas was there with Jesus to eat bread with him and drink wine with him. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. He knew that Judas was going to betray him. He said, one of you will betray me. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered Judas. Then Jesus said to him, what you have to do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said that to him. But Jesus knew. Even there, he did not throw him away. And I know that if Judas at that time had repented, Jesus would have taken him on. Grace. Finally, let's look at the thief on the cross. He was a thief with his friend. And they had been caught. And in their loss, they were to be crucified. They were tied onto the cross. When they came and nailed Jesus on his cross and put him in their middle. Now, instead of him, one of them, minding his own business, thinking about where he's coming from, he decided to talk against Jesus. But then the other thief on the cross said, the other answering rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God, seeing that you and I are under the same condemnation? And we indeed just, we, we are indeed justly so. For we receive the due reward of our deeds. 
But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. One of our friends, an elder in the UK, his father had lived his life to the full on, uh, in Ghana, doing all kinds of things, not minding God. A few months before his death, or is it a few days, he was on his deathbed in the hospital when people of God went and gave the message to him. He gave his life to Christ. After all those 80-something years of things that he had done, which did not make sense, he gave his life to Christ. And he died a soldier at the feet of Christ. Grace. Grace. So, what am I talking about? What is the Holy Spirit bringing to our mind? What of this grace? If we look at ourselves and we can identify ourselves with any of the people that we have discussed right now, and we can see that we are coming from nowhere, but Christ's grace has had an effect on us. The question for us now is, what are we doing with this grace? It is not for nothing that God has given us grace. It is not because he just, he just wanted to. It is for a reason. The grace should translate into our lives. And it should translate into our fellowship as Christians. So the first question is, how is the grace being translated in your home? We have parents here. We have children here. We have siblings here. We have friends here. How is the grace of God in your life being translated in your home? What about your neighborhood? Can people in your neighborhood tell everybody that as for this woman, as for this man. The way he conducts himself tells me that some grace is upon his life. Some grace is upon her life. What about in the church? And your workplace When David saw that grace had been poured upon his life, he extended the grace into the life of another person. What grace have you extended into the life of another person? Are you the type that is looking at other people and saying, and hey, look at her, every time she's doing this and that? You, you won't do it. That, like the Ashantis will say, Konongokaya, wa swa. So you have become a stumbling block. Preventing the grace from flowing to other people. You have been given grace. 
your grace must extend to others. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, For I fear when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. Lest there be contentious, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, and tumults. He was talking to the, the children of God, the Corinthians, who had come to experience the grace of God. But he said, I am afraid that when I come into your midst, these are some of the things that I'm going to find. There are some of us sitting here who are not talking with each other. There are some of us sitting here who are full of bitterness, anger against another person. There are some of us sitting here who have been whispering to other people about what is going on. Did you see her? Did you see the dress she was wearing? Last week, that was not what she wore. Or, ah, this woman, what is wrong with her? Why is it that every day she's in the same dress? Doesn't she have anything else? The whisperings. When grace has found you, when grace has taken you out from Lodiba, when grace has brought you out of a lowly place, do you go about whispering against other people or do you extend the same grace to others? But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Grace has found me. Grace has found you. How are we translating the grace? Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem the others better than himself. Let each of you look out, not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Before I give the summary, this man was traveling on a train. He got into the train with about seven children between the ages of 14 to 2. The moment he got in, everybody knew that the children were his, his, his children. They looked so much like him. But the man went and sat in the train, put his feet up, closed his eyes, and his children were just all over the place, running around, picking things. They'll come to someone, 
And everybody was like, what is wrong with this man? That his children are misbehaving and he's sitting there, not minding them. So one old woman, you know, age can give you the authority to say things without apologies. Young people will come and say it to you, you will fight with them. But let an older person come and say it. So in our old age, we are enjoying it because we are able to tell people what they should be doing. So this old woman went up to the man and said, gentlemen, what is wrong with you? Look at the mess your children are causing on the train. The man just, it was like he was in a stupor. He just lifted himself up, looked up and said, he, he just sighed and said, hmm, I'm just coming from the hospital. My wife just died. And I went there to visit her with my children. And we got there and they, they broke the news to her that she had died. And so now I'm taking them home. I don't even know how I'm going to manage. The moment he said that, everybody, I mean, he said it out loud. So everybody on the train understood. Then they, they, this one will pick that child and put the child by him and start console. Because you don't know what the person is going through. Meanwhile, you are saying things about the person. This man was going through deep grief. He didn't even know how to handle it. How many times have you and I not pointed fingers at people? Not knowing what is going on in their background. Grace. Grace. When the people got to know what was wrong, what the, what the situation of the man, they now had a paradigm shift. It is my prayer that today all of us will have a paradigm shift. Our minds will change and we will look at the grace that has been bestowed upon us and extend it to other people. Hallelujah. How do we translate this grace in our lives? First of all, we need to be truthful to ourselves. Be honest with yourself. Who are you? You know yourself. Remember where you are coming from. Some of you are very lucky. You don't come from any worst um, <laughs> place. So you are okay. You, 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 are, you come from a place where everybody is good. But you see, the Bible says that even our goodness, it's like faithfully rags before him. We cannot buy the grace of God. So it's grace that has been bestowed on us. So when you are truthful and genuine with yourself, you will know where you are coming from and you will appreciate the grace of God more. The second thing is for you to mind your thoughts and mind your words. At two weeks or so, Professor Safo was here telling us about what the mind can do. And Bible says that as a man thinks, so is he. If we are mindful of our thoughts, we will be mindful of our words. Sometimes we say certain things that are so hurtful without grace, forgetting where we are coming from. But the most important thing is for you to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. 
It is the Holy Spirit who changes us. It is the Holy Spirit who makes us realize where we are coming from. It is the Holy Spirit. Christ said, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm going, but I'm leaving the Spirit behind for you. The comforter to help you. He is the helper who will take you through. So that Holy Spirit, that third man of God, he is the one that you and I should be relying on. And as we do that, let us put away every bitterness, every wrath, every anger, every clamor, every evil speaking, and every malice. And let us start practicing kindness. Be merciful to people. You don't know the story of the other person. If you cannot ask for it, pray for the person. Let us translate uh, the grace of God in our lives. Like David, let us look for the, the feebleness around us and let us be kind to them as David was. We have received grace upon grace. You and I have received grace upon grace. That is what Bible tells us. And that is what you and I should be working towards. Grace upon grace from where? Grace upon grace from Christ. In John 1 verse 16 said, you have received grace upon grace from Christ. As I end, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25 to 32. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are all members one of another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands. What is good? that he may have something to give him who has need, so that you can be gracious to other people too. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ forgive you. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in us. Amen. Thank you.